good morning, everyone. Welcome. It was so awesome to worship with you all in song today, especially, I'll have to agree, like the crew over here, the young ones, man, they're worshiping and dance too, and I think that's super cool. I've also um, very much been looking forward to worshiping with you in word as we look at scripture and consider these incredible truths that emerge from it. My name is Julie Peterson, and I am the senior associate pastor here at Highway, and it's such an honor to be with you this morning. Today, we are continuing on in our Advent teaching series entitled, His Name Will Be Called. It's a reflection on the names of Jesus found in Isaiah 9-6, these names of the long-awaited king who'd be the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and Israel and David. The prophet Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, would you read this with me? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each of these names reveal a profound, distinct truth about Jesus. And throughout our series, we're reflecting on what each of these truths mean in practical terms as we live our day-to-day lives. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, provides wisdom and truth as we navigate the complexities of life. And Jesus, the mighty God, who by laying down privilege and power paradoxically reveals it, he empowers us to live as he did. And today, as we continue to move through this passage, we're reflecting on Jesus, the everlasting Father, who meets us where we are. Now, everlasting Father may at first glance be a bit of a surprising name for Jesus. A few weeks ago, I had lunch with a highwayer who loves Jesus and loves the scriptures and has for decades. And I mentioned to her that I'd be teaching in the series on Everlasting Father Sunday. And she just looked at me, and her eyes grew wide. And she said, Julie, it is amazing how someone can read a passage over and over again. I imagine most of that time was like this time of the year. Yet still somehow miss something. She had read this passage so many times, but this name never really stood out until now, and now it really stood out. Like how curious it is. Jesus, the Son of God, is the everlasting Father. Familiarity. It can be a foe when it comes to listening well. It can work against listening or noticing or experiencing something well, because without realizing it, we can kind of tune out because we think we've got it already. At least, that's true for me. I remember one of the first times that I flew on a plane. I was about seven years old. I sat down, I buckled in, and then I listened very intently to the flight attendants as they gave this, like, survival information and instructions on what to do in the event of an emergency. Like where the life vest is, and um, the order in which to put the oxygen mask on. If you're traveling with someone, I pictured 
putting it on myself first, and then the person next to me. And then there were all of those other very important instructions that I was like very intently tuned into because like, you never know. But over the years, after the umpteenth time on a plane and the umpteenth time listening to those instructions without even realizing it, it started to tune out. And I will tell you that if I were to be on a plane today and had to locate the life vests, I would not know where to look. <laughs> and if suddenly there was no oxygen in the cabin, oh my goodness, I don't know um, for sure whether or not that bag's supposed to inflate. I, <laughs> I think it's not supposed to, but I would feel a lot better if it did. And I think there's something that you're supposed to pull to make it work. But I don't exactly know where that is either. So all this to say that if you're ever traveling with me, especially by plane. <laughs> Don't sit beside me for your own personal safety. <laughs> well, I, I love how in this series we're listening to these names of Jesus anew. And these, these truths that have been proclaimed again and again throughout the ages that we're taking them in afresh. And as part of that, we're, we're savoring what can be missed in the familiarity of it all. So, this week's curious name for Jesus, Everlasting Father. The Hebrew word translated as Everlasting Father is Abi Ad. Ab as in father, Ab Abba Father, and Ad is everlasting or without end or in perpetuity. So how is it that Jesus is our Abi Ad or our Everlasting Father? Let's start by considering God the Son in relation to God the Father. As we reflected on this summer, when we kicked off the Yesterday, Today, and Forever teaching series, God himself is revealed through the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, tells us, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. While God spoke through the Old Testament prophets, he now speaks through his Son, Jesus. His son is his final word who exactly represents him as the radiance of his glory. Now, radiance refers to a light that emanates from something luminous or a reflection. And God's glory, or doxa in Greek, is an expression of who he is. That's what we can see and experience. So when we see the son, we see the father's character, an exact representation in human form. In John 14, 9, Jesus tells Philip that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God-shaped. And in this way, seeing Jesus the Son is seeing God the Father. Now, as we think about Jesus as our everlasting Father, it can be important to acknowledge that associations with this term are varied and complex. They can be positive to less than positive, 
they can evoke a wide range of emotions. It can be complex from person to person and within any given person. In fact, there's a wide range of uh, portrayals of fathers in scripture. However, that said, while there are certainly fathers who fell very, very short in scripture, and some who were a mixed bag, the broader picture being painted of fathers as we step back and we look at the entirety of scriptures is really positive. Jesus refers to God as his or our father well over a hundred times in the New Testament. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks, is there anyone among you, if a child asks for bread, will give a stone? And what's behind that is the notion that when children ask their fathers for food, that they provide. And there are fathers who desperately seek healing for their children, like the synagogue ruler Jairus, who begs Jesus to heal his daughter and the father of an epileptic boy who implores first the disciples and then Jesus to heal his son. And then there's the father that Jesus talks about in one of the most beloved parables in all of Scripture, the parable of the prodigal son. Where This story is very familiar, and it might be familiar to you, and it also might not, and if that's the case, that's cool. But if it is, let's try and not let familiarity be a foe to hearing it and entering into it well this morning. To do so, to work against that, we're going to enter through it using a very specific lens. And that is looking at it through the lens of the actions of the Father. Those that he took and those that he did not take. As we look at this passage I just want to make a quick note that I've taken the liberty to underline the words or phrases that represent or describe the Father's actions. So the emphasis that you're about to see is mine. Okay? So let's dive on in. Feel free to make your way with me to Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 11. After the Pharisees, these experts in the law, have criticized Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, he responds with a string of parables. They've been referred to as the lost and found parables. The first is about a lost coin. The second is about lost sheep. And this third is about a lost son. Jesus begins. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The younger father, the younger son, asks his father for his share of the estate. Now, while this is something that was within his right to do, it would have been considered super rude because the context in which property distribution typically happened was when that person who owned it had passed away. So in a sense, it was sort of like saying he wished that his father were dead. But what does the father do? He divides his property and he gives his sons their share. The father gives. And what's more, what does he not do? Well, he doesn't get angry, and he doesn't prevent his younger son from leaving. Once the son gets his share of the property, the father lets him go, and in this way, he gives again. He gives choice, and then he releases his son to that choice. Now, this younger son, he sets 
out to a faraway land where he totally squanders his father's generosity. He makes all of these bad decisions, which lead him destitute. Now, this is particularly devastating because after he's spent everything, a severe famine hits the land, and so now he's desperate, in a desperate land. So he's looking, out for, looking for a job, and he finds one. And it's kind of rough. Within it, he's sent out to feed pigs. Now, for most people, this would be the worst. But not for everyone. This here is uh, Ted's cousin, Erin, and a pig. <laughs> now, she loves pigs. Um, in fact, she owns a pig rescue. It's called, yes, <laughs> they exist. It's called Hog Haven Farm, and it is Colorado's largest pig rescue and sanctuary. She rescues and she rehabilitates these pigs, and she helps them find forever homes, and she educates the public and future owners about pigs. And there's over 100 pigs there at any point in time. And, you know, Erin loves all of them. And she would say, I think, that pigs have a bad rap, um, that they're precious and intelligent and emotional beings who deserve care and respect and love. Now, for Erin, the job of tending to the needs of pigs, which, in fact, is the job that she has, uh, that it would be awesome. She would love it. But for a whole lot of other people, I think that's probably most people, this would be really rough. I mean, first of all, there's that pig smell, which I imagine is really similar to that Modesto cow smell that Adam mentioned last Sunday. <laughs> and... Um, a whole lot of other stuff as well. But you know, back in Jesus' day, this would have been an especially offensive job, an especially offensive job for any self-respecting, righteous Jewish person because pigs were considered unclean under the law. Now, this was a son of a wealthy Jewish landowner, and so this would not have been lost on him. Well, after taking this lowly job, the son is still starving. He even longs to eat the pig feed, but no one would give him anything. He's totally rejected. He's famished. And then he has this realization. NIV tells us he came to his senses. He decides to humbly and repentantly return to his father, who has food to spare. So he rehearses what he plans to say. He's got these three lines. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I imagined him rehearsing these lines on the long trek home. So let's continue on and take note of the father's actions. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father. He sees his son off in the distance. And it's, it's not hard to imagine him having kept a watchful and hopeful eye out for his, this son ever since he left. And when the father finally sees him, he can hardly contain himself, body and soul. His heart is filled and it's filled with what? It's 
filled with compassion. And he runs to his son, who's a long way off. And it's good to consider that back in that day, it was considered undignified and shameful for a man to run in Jewish culture. Running is what kids did. And what's more, running required men to hike up their robes, which exposed their legs, which was also disgraceful. But none of this kept the father from running with abandon to his son. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. The father is overjoyed. And the son, well, he starts up that speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you know what happens? Father cuts him off doesn't even get a chance to finish that speech. He has underestimated his father's grace and generosity and mercy. And so, at this point, the father is so excited. He just only cares that his son has returned. Continuing on, we read. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. So they began to celebrate. The father. He says to his servants, the self-same people, by the way, that the son had hoped to serve beside, to spring into action. Get a robe, the best robe, and get a ring and sandals for him and throw a lavish feast. The father celebrates the return of his son, whom he thought had died in a famine, yet was alive. Now, at this point, things are pretty awesome for the younger son. But... For the other son, things are about to go south. He's headed home after having worked a long day in the field, and he approaches the house. Before entering in, he hears music and dancing, and he learns that his unfaithful brother has returned home. And now his father has thrown this extravagant party to celebrate, the likes of which has never been thrown for him. Not even close. As we continue on, we see that the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. So inside, the father is reunited with his younger son at long last and celebrating his return. And then he gets word that his older son is outside fuming. Let's consider what the father doesn't do. The father doesn't leave him in his anger and he doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't wait for him inside. Instead, the father goes out, went out to him. And he went to where he was, much like he did with his younger son. And like he did to physically reach his younger son, the father does something undignified to reach his older son relationally. Here we see him pleading. The older son points out the great party inequity. All of these years I've been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed you, yet you have never even given me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. 
Then the father says, my son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All of these words are bolded here. Ah, I made a mistake on the slide. All of these words are supposed to be underlined. Imagine that. (laughs) So all of these words, if they were underlined, are to illustrate that the father is pressing into action right here. Because all of the stuff that he's doing right here is seeing and providing perspective. The father sees him as he says, yes, my son, you are always here with me. I know that. I see that. I see you. And then the father reframes and resets perspective. He says, you know, what's mine is yours. All of this, look around. But your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. The father, who saw his younger son so far off in the physical distance, now sees his older son who stayed but is so far away relationally. And he met both of them right where they were, even though they were the ones to leave even though they chose to distance themselves from him. This is a story of a father of action, a father who gave and who let go, a father who searched and saw and ran, his heart filled with compassion. It's a story of a father who went to and welcomed his children, both the one who left and the one who stayed, This father, he willingly brought shame and humiliation upon himself for the sake of bridging the distance between himself and his children and to welcome them back into community with him. This story, it is a picture of God who describes himself as the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And here we see that character trait again, compassion. God's radical compassion and grace and welcome is active and it is embodied by Jesus. Jesus descended to earth in order to be God with us and to meet a self-exiled humanity right where we are. He came humbly as a baby He walked the earth and taught us how to live in love. And he suffered shame and humiliation as he died an undignified death in order to welcome us back into community with God and to give us new life. In John 1.1, we read of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus The word in the beginning is everlasting. He traversed time and space for us, and he meets us at all times, for always and forever, and for all types of seasons of life. And no matter whether we feel near or far from him, no matter whether we're feeling joyful or sorrowful, 
or anything else, the everlasting Father meets us where we are. Tonight, as Adam mentioned, we're hosting a gathering called The Longest Night. It's a liturgical style service for those for whom the holidays are not joyful. And it's a place to meet God in our grief and pain. If you resonate with this, and or if you would like to come alongside those who do, I really hope that you'll join us tonight. If you are experiencing heaviness this season, I want you to know that you are not alone. There are others who are experiencing heaviness. And God, he's with each and every one of us. He's carrying those burdens with us. I really hope to see you there. This week, I invite you to experience the presence of the everlasting Father anew. Maybe you've long known that Jesus meets you right where you are, but it's such a familiar concept that maybe it's hard to see that well. Maybe it's easy to get caught up in all the things. Maybe it's easy to get tuned out by that. All these things that can work against actually experiencing this truth well and having this become alive in your life, I really hope that as you take intentional time with Jesus and experience his newness, that it will be powerful and profound for you. And the specific way that I invite you to do this is through breath prayer. As you begin, I'd like to encourage you to actually start with a moment of silence. I love the way Adam started us off with a moment of silence. That really blessed me. So take a moment in silence to become present to and aware of yourself. As you're doing this, locate yourself. Where are you? Perhaps you could do this by considering your emotions or your stress level or how your body is feeling or considering whether you feel near or far from God. And then call upon the everlasting Father as you breathe in. And then as you breathe out, ask him to meet you right there, right where you are. Let's take a moment to do this together. Let's take a moment in silence. Feel free to close your eyes. And now breathe in. Everlasting Father. And breathe out. Meet me. Father God, thank you for your unbounded compassion and grace and welcome and for the ways this is manifest in action embodied by your Son. Jesus, everlasting Father, thank you for descending to earth. Thank you that there is no distance, that there's no barrier that you will not traverse or overcome for us by your great love. Thank you for being close. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes so that we may experience this continual loving presence with us, meeting us, 
no matter how or where we may find ourselves. We love you and we need you, God. For it's in Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen.